Thanks, we all are. If you don't know me, my name is Paul, and I will be reading the scripture lesson this morning from uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 3, uh, starting with verse 10 and going to the end of, 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 of chapter 3. <clears throat> His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may, may grasp wide and long and high and deep in the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measures of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Paul, I appreciate you doing that. Guys, I want to take a minute just to introduce um, our guest speaker for you today. He's uh, Pastor Keelu Clardy, uh, um, pastors Trinity Grace Church in Park Slope in Brooklyn, New York. Um, his, his path and my path crossed together in 2007. And I don't know about you, there are people sometimes that just cross your path that you never want the path to, um, to, 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 to veer or to separate. And uh, pastors on many occasions uh, find kindred spirits, um, and I have loved what my dear brother has done. He's been an encouragement. He's an incredible teacher. And when I was talking about coming out of my sickness and continuing to get our church on the theme we introduced last week, which is the word devoted, and I was sharing with Caleb about this particular text he agreed to be a part of this gathering, and I am super excited about it. And if you guys would do me a great honor and just welcome one of my dearest friends, uh, Caleb Clardy, up to come teach for us, that'd be great. Love you, bro. Absolutely. Well, good morning. Get myself situated here. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Ellis. Um, it, it is uh, truly an honor to, to be with you today. Um, some of what uh, Pastor Ellis was, was, was mentioning, uh, we, we've been friends for, for a while, but there was an intersection in our friendship um, that connects with something I want to share with you today. And um, Ellis and I went to a, a fateful lunch in my life as a pastor uh, immediately after I was let go uh, from a church in, in New York City. And um, 
I don't know how well he remembers it. I remember it very clearly. I was young. I was idealistic. Uh, I was running on a strong sense of calling. Um, the church I was working for was facing some serious problems, uh, but I didn't know the full scale of them. And I was called into a Tuesday staff meeting, and normally we did them in a big group, and this was a one-on-one, so it was a little weird. And the pastor of the church who had hired me said, listen, we can't pay you anymore, um, which felt like bad news. Um, and he's like, if you want to go on in this role, uh, you're going to have to raise your own funds for your own salary. And it was like an, an effective immediately. And I just felt like ugh, a kick in the stomach if you've ever been in a meeting like that. And, and I reflect on it a little bit differently now oh, after the passage of some time. But at the moment, I was devastated. I was angry. And Ellis sat with me and, and listened to me vent and... Um, and for me, this was such a crucial moment. Like I said, I'm not sure if he remembers the details, but I was fed up with, with church. I was disillusioned that we weren't all teaming up um, to face the challenges together. I, I felt uh, left out, I, you know, a painful experience uh, for us as human beings to feel excluded and left out. I felt like I was, I was being chosen against. I thought this is not what the church is supposed to be. I have a lot more compassion now, 15 years later, uh, uh, on the person who fired me. Uh, Twelve of those years, I've been pastoring a church in Brooklyn that I helped to start. And so I know it's complicated, and I know there were reasons that were pressing on, on them. But I remember, Ellis, you have a good pastor here. Um, amen. Uh, he, he took in my frustration. He took in my anger, my self-pity, my storytelling to make myself seem like the righteous person uh, who was being wronged. And what he gave me back was grace and hope. Um, And he encouraged me in a very real way that my story wasn't over and that God wasn't finished with me, which is a powerful thing for us to be able to say to one another especially in, time, in times like these. And so right after getting fired from a church, uh, the first place I went was lunch with your pastor, and I'm glad, I'm glad he was there. Last week, Pastor Ellis uh, you know, gave a picture of what the church is meant to be, a place uh, that, that, that uh, is issuing from God's heart, is a place that absorbs and takes in the brokenness of the world and gives back life. And gives back love. And Ellis demonstrated that to me uh, 15 years ago. Uh, to, to be like, like a tree. That's how a tree changes its environment. It takes in toxins and gives back life. And the church is meant to be that. A place where the life of God shines out. Even in the midst of dire circumstances. Even in the midst of deep darkness. And so I can't uh, tell you uh, how much I resonate with the vision that you are in right now as, as a church family, um, to give yourselves, to be devoted to fully becoming what God intends the church to be. That is a, a powerful, beautiful vision, and Paul just read it for us, but just hear these words fresh in your heart. This is God. His intent was that now, through the church, The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, 
You don't get many sentences that are that epic. Uh, this is one of those summary places in the scripture that just sort of blows your mind with its, its, its scope. So I just want you to just to consider this for just a moment. The apostle, Paul, is writing from prison. So he's in a rough spot. Um, and he's saying to these believers in a, in a city church um, that what they're participating in is an essential part of what God has always intended to do. God's intent was that the manifold wisdom, and, and that word manifold is, uh, is very difficult to translate. It's one of the words that comes to us in English, and it's a little bit too drab. Like, isn't it a car part? I don't know much about cars, but this, you can have something go on with your manifold. That's not, that's not what this is. The manifold here is an astonishing word. It's basically like that the, a gorgeous tapestry would be, uh, of God's wisdom would be stretched out across the universe in this uh, demonstrative way, that there would be like a mosaic, and all these tiles would come together and it would tell this big, beautiful story. And the story is going to resound in heaven and on earth. And so it's uh, humans and angels, good and bad, are going to see the artistry. They're going to see the grace. They're going to see the redemption. And, all, and the place where this you know, magical tapestry of God's wisdom is going to be demonstrated is the church. I look around. The eternal purposes of God accomplished in Christ Jesus are being shown through the church. And you thought you just stumbled into a service today. <laughs> that, that, that tells us a couple of important things about God. I want to mention a, a few of them. One is if, if we need this reminder from time to time. God is absolutely determined to work through relationships. The mystery of God's character, it it blows our minds that God is one and yet God is three. And so in God's very being and character is community, that God is determined in the overflow of God and creation, he has made a world that runs along relational lines. God simply will not, he refuses to consistently work through just grand displays of his own power that don't pass through love. Something that's tripped me up as a pastor and as, as a Christian asking questions over, over the years of my faith is like, why doesn't every generation God do like the cosmic air rider thing? You know when you've been at the beach in the summer and you see like uh, Sammy's beach house is having 25% off on all swimsuits right now and they somehow write that in the sky? Like, why doesn't God do it that way? Just get everyone together and like Iron Man in and like cosmic right. No one can say they don't believe anymore. Like, I have this doubt in my heart. Well, there he is. He's right there. But he doesn't do that. He passes the kingdom of God along relational lines. Basically, he's like, I want my message of reconciliation to come through the filter of your life and experience. What a, pow- what a powerful thing. God is willing to, to, um, to work through relationship. He, in fact, he's determined. And, and the other thing, this is encouragement to me, is that he's willing to work through what is weak and broken. In fact, God seems to have a preference for this. I love the scriptures in their honesty. If you look at the heroes uh, of the stories of the scripture, Moses, David, uh, like Peter, all of them, you see their weaknesses on display over and over again. Look who God has to work with, all, all, all of us. Like, 
We are weak. We are broken. Yeah, we, we can be strong. We can be powerful. We can be creative. We, can, we are made in God's image, and yet we deal with the reality of our world. So God is going to accomplish this incredible thing, a demonstration of sorts to the whole universe, and he's going to do it through the church. So I have to imagine, maybe you feel like this, but I have to imagine some of the people <laughs> reading this must have been like, who? Who is this going to happen through? Like, I've been to some churches in my life. You've been to some churches in your life. Some of them have been good. This is a good church. Some of them have been meh. Some of them have been rough, honestly. Let's, let's be honest. And so can I really say the gorgeous tapestry of God's wisdom was being stretched out like a mosaic across the universe? I'm sort of like, this sermon's a little long. So what do we do with that? I, I, I like... I like flipping to the end in Revelation, and you have this picture of the believing community. This is such an inspiration to us, you know, in the church, that every tribe and tongue and nation is going to be gathered in this new city, this new Jerusalem. The whole place is going to be lit by the presence of God. Like, no longer is, like, the most segregated day of the week going to be when we worship. We're going to be all together in, 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 in every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping in Jerusalem. That, to me, I'm like, yeah, that. Now I'm starting to see the mosaic of God's wisdom stretched across the sky. That sounds incredible. But let's be honest. Down here, right now, we split up over blog posts and modes of baptism and versions of the Bible and, and roles for men and women and what counts as a spiritual gift. Like that, We just have splintered off. And it's hard to feel like there's a big, beautiful mosaic on an ordinary Sunday. We section off into tribes for our own survival, and we fight over market shares of Sunday attendance, and we regularly see public scandal after public scandal of hypocrisy in church leadership, and we wonder why people say, you know what, I can do without the church. So many of us, and many who aren't here now, who used to occupy seats, may have heard us talk a big game but their actual experience was something less. So then what do we do with that? Let's be honest. Was the talk wrong? Was the imagery wrong? Was this powerful poetic picture off in some way? Or were we failing in the actions somehow? Are we failing to deliver or is God failing to deliver? Or or do we just need to acknowledge the reality? There's a lot of resistance out there. Like the, the centuries of the church's history, they've talked about the, the flesh and the world and the devil, like internal systems and external systems and, and true spiritual resistance. And maybe it's just hard. Maybe life's just hard. But for many of us, there's a painful gap between God's intent and our reality. I'm going to go to the whiteboard now because I saw this on your broadcast last week and I saw that Ellis brought too small of a pen and I realized like I'm going to try this and I could totally mess it up and not spell this right, but I'm going to go for it here. So I'm going to put intent. Yes. If you're, if you're tracking online, I'm going to say stuff while I try to spell um, intent. So this is God's intent. This is not as impressive as it sounded in Ephesians. Um, but then here we have our reality over here. And I just want to give us a visual picture of this very painful gap between what, if you want to put this another way, what we hope for and what we experience 
This is a tough one. Experience. Mm. Amen. Okay. I mean, come down, spell on the man's whiteboard. I'm sorry. Um, so for many of you in here, if we're, if we're honest, there, is, there has been a gap at times. Maybe there's a gap right now between God's intent, God's purpose, your hope for the church, and then reality, experience, what we, what we really live. And what happens in, in this gap is massive space for disappointment. We're supposed to be followers of Jesus, and many of us, if we're honest, maybe over the last three years in particular, we've been discipled in this space by disappointment more than by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have been devastated. It reminds me a little bit of of the story um, of of these men who were leaving Jerusalem on that first Easter morning. Do you remember that story? It's sometimes called the road to Emmaus. And these guys are, they're just, their heads are dropped. They're dragging out of Jerusalem on Easter morning. Christ is risen, but they don't know it yet. And so they're like, they're they're done. They, They had hoped. They had believed. They had followed, they had tried, they had faith, they showed up, they filled this space. And now they're crushed by disappointment. Jesus has been killed, the movement is over, they're leaving. Many of us can relate to moments like that, moments that happen in this space right here. I actually think the road to Emmaus is one of the paradigm stories for our moment right now in the church. Many are walking away and they're trying to sort through the wreckage of what they used to believe and say, was God wrong or was I wrong or was the church wrong? Where does it fit? My heart is crushed. I can't do this anymore. Not to trek you through all of my church disappointment, but nine years after that uh, incident where I had lunch with Ellis, where I was fired uh, from my church, I had had a, a tremendous decade of, 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 of life. We had planted a church in Brooklyn. Um, I had been involved with a, a, a family of churches. We had 11 congregations across Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens. It had been a beautiful uh, moment. And in 2017, my first meeting of the year, the guy who had started the first church in Manhattan, who we were leading together, comes in, sits me and another guy down and says, listen, I'm done can't do this anymore. I want to lead a church. I don't want to lead 11 churches. I'm over this. And he left. And I was devastated. Again, I went on a little road to Emmaus walk. Uh, He told me in Midtown Manhattan, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the geography, and I walked all the way down Manhattan across the Brooklyn Bridge to my home in Brooklyn. It's about eight miles. And I walked like this. And I was trying to pray, and I was like, what worship song do I listen to now? Like, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to, like, you know, I don't like worship music sometimes. Sorry. Um, uh, It's just like the style. Like, give me a break, okay? But anyway, um, I was asking these questions in my heart. I was like, is God finished with us? Like, this guy I really respected, I loved. He was a very gifted leader. It's like, is is the blessing train moving on and leaving me here behind? Can I keep going? Many of you know a walk like that. I want you to think. Think of a moment in your life where you were devastated by disappointment. Grief. I think of walking around the hospital when my father died. I think of walking with some friends as they've lost a child. Like those moments, right? COVID has given us so many where we're isolated, where we're excluded from the places where we found life and love. 
What about the, the, the racial tension, some of the ways the church has failed to, to be the, the, the church in, in, in this vision of every tribe and tongue and nation coming together and us all bearing the Imago Day Politics, some space in there for disappointment, for frustration, hypocrisy, all kinds of things lead us to this place where we're, we're like those men leaving Jerusalem on that Easter morning with, with our heads hanging low. But here's the thing. In their disappointment, someone comes and walks with them. <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments in the scripture where Jesus sort of shows up and just starts like strolling with them and they're just like, mm, and he's like, he's like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> like he doesn't know what they're talking about. What's going on? Anything interesting? And, uh, and, and they're like, where have you been, buddy? And he slowly begins to help them, even before they even realize it. He slowly begins to help them pick up the pieces. And I want to get back to what happens with, with them, but for now, I just want to acknowledge this very painful gap that comes between God's intent or our expression of that in hope and how we live, how re- reality is actually experienced by us. And so how do you get from intent to reality? How do you close uh, this gap? And so I want to get a little bit more from this passage in what it would look like to see this gap close between our hope and our experience. In verse 11, it says, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this mosaic stretched across the universe, the demonstration to earth and heaven of, of God's uh, grace and artistry and wisdom and redemption begins with the accomplishment of what Jesus has done. So that's the foundation. And then out of that, in him and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings which are which, uh, for you, which are for your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, uh, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray. And then he launches into this prayer. So for the apostle... Trying to close this gap between intention, hope, reality, and experience. Two things, right? Out of uh, sort of the banner is the accomplishment of Jesus. I'm not going to write it because it would take me about six minutes. But the accomplishment of Jesus here, that's the banner over what, what is going to close this gap. But two things that become our place of participation show up here. It is prayer and sacrificial love are two of the ways the church participates in closing this gap between intent and reality. So I'm just going to write both of them here, and then we're going to talk about them for a moment. So prayer and sacrificial love. So let's take them one at a time if, if we can. Prayer. Now remember where the Apostle Paul is at this moment. He's in prison, and this is, this is, is not like a, a nice minimum security, you know, where he gets a, a lot, like he's, he's more than likely everything that he's surviving on is having to be brought to him by other people, the pen and paper to write, to, 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 to write this letter, and so he can't come preach to them. He can't take them on a retreat to close this gap. He can't bring them to a conference. He can't, and this is terrifying, he can't record a podcast. (laughs) He can't do it from where he is in jail. He He can't get it to them. It's shocking. But Paul 
still seems to feel like he has quite a bit of apostolic ministry still available to him to to activate the church for all the life that they are called to live in, to close this gap. Paul doesn't seem to be limited even in his prison. And and what does he do? He prays for them. I want to say this because it's true for me and true for my church. Many of us, friends, we have sold our prayers short. We, we know all about wearing ourselves out, trying to do the right thing, trying to rebuild, but we don't bother to pray. We pick ourselves up from disappointment, and, and we try to do that by our own strength, and we sometimes ignore God's hand extended to us. In the church, many of us have been busy competing for the world's attention, but not coming to God in intercession. The whole next part of what Paul has to say to the church, he puts in a prayer. And he tells them that the accomplishment of Jesus, what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrections, means that we can come to the Father in two beautiful, startling words, freedom and confidence. That's what's meant to define our prayer life as a church, freedom and confidence. You just think of a kid running in to his father. Come, basically, this is an invitation to come all the way in and say everything that's on your heart. That's what the prayers of the church are meant to look like. Is our prayer life defined by freedom and confidence? Like the psalmist says, I pour out my soul. Do you know prayer like that in your life? To pour out your soul? What is your soul? Right? This immaterial part of you that makes you you, that it's sometimes hard to name. I, I think you could think about it like your thoughts, that not, not just the gray matter of your brain, but your consciousness. It's also your decision-making function, your volition, your will, and your feelings. So if you just took those three, my thoughts, my, my, my choices, my emotions, my feelings, and I just start presenting those to God, that's what it is, to pour out your soul in freedom and confidence to the Lord. It's to say, this thought is here, I'm going to offer it to God instead of just ruminating on it. This feeling is here, I'm going to offer it to God instead of just swimming in it. This decision is before me, I'm going to offer it to God in freedom and confidence. Utter freedom that he really does want to hear, and utter confidence that he really can answer. You know how long Jesus was doing public ministry in the Gospels on earth? Three years. You know what he's been doing ever since? Interceding. Jesus' ministry is a ministry of intercession. Do you know what that means for the church? Our ministry is a ministry of intercession. Our ministry is a ministry of coming to God in freedom and confidence. Say, God, did you know about this thing going on in Baltimore? God, did you know about this thing going on at my work? God, did you know about this thing going on in my family? And he's like, yes, but tell me anyway. And in freedom and confidence, we pour out our soul to the Lord. That's what Paul is doing here to close the gap where disappointment lives between intention, hope, and reality, and experience. The second thing is sacrificial love. Look what he says to them. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. You got to love Paul here. He's the one in jail, and he's like, don't take it too hard, guys. Uh, I have some real perspective on it. Don't be discouraged. My suffering is for you. Um, it's, It's helping me call out God's intent for you. A life of prayer leads, you, know, you remember the Mary and Martha story where Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha's busy and angry 
Sometimes the church is busy and angry because we just haven't sat there listening in freedom and confidence. So we're busy like making a meal and Jesus isn't hungry or making a bed and he's not staying the night. And instead of sitting at his feet, like if our sacrificial love action flows out of the intimacy of our prayer life, all of a sudden we're really doing things that are in line with the heart of God and we're not wearing ourselves out just in the strength of our own ability. Trying to finish in the flesh what the spirit has begun. A life of prayer and sacrificial love that flows out of that prayer is how the church lives God's intent. Prayer connects us to the relationship of the Trinity. Remember Jesus' great commission, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then teach them the way of life that I've showed you. When we pray, we participate relationally in the life of the Trinity, and then what the loving action that flows out of that relationship to our neighbors is our, is our communal life together. If I could say anything to you, Gallery Church, as you press into this vision of being the church God intends you to be in this time of your church's history, devote yourself to prayer and devote yourself to sacrificial love that flows from that prayer. It sounds simple, right? (laughs) You've lived, you know. We know real life. And if you feel like, sounds good, preacher guy, with your Britney Spears microphone on. (laughs) We're barely hanging on out here. Okay? You're not sure you're going to be able to do that, and you're not sure you're going to be able to endure. I'm with you. And that's why I want you to listen as we close to what God's praying for you, because that's how this passage wraps up. Uh, And I want to say that specifically. You might not think about it in those terms, but this is what God is praying for you. And how can I say that, um, that God is praying for us? Well, one, the ministry of Jesus is a ministry of intercession. Our church, Trinity Grace, was named after Jesus' prayer in John 17, where he's pleading for his disciples and those who would believe on their account. And he's saying, let them all, all of you, all of us, share in the glory that Trinity experienced before there was creation. So overflowing in creation is this like bubbling relationship inside of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, spills over in the art artistry of creation, in the making of people in his image. And Jesus is praying that you and I would share in that magical stuff, that relational goodness, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit experienced before the foundation. That's one of the things Jesus prays for you. If ever like, what's God praying for me? Go and read John 17. Another place is Romans 8. And I love this because it says when you're out of words, when you're hurting too much to pray, when you don't know what to say at all, the Holy Spirit groans for you. So Jesus is praying words for you that you can know the contours of. The Spirit is groaning for you and and saying, I know it's hard to endure. I know it's difficult. I know what you're going through. And he's praying even where where we can. So Paul's prayer, when we get to it here, this is an apostle praying for the church, a city church. It's recorded in the canon of Scripture. So we, we believe this is inspired by the Spirit. This is God's prayer for you. I just want you to hear it again. I know you've heard it. I want you to hear it again. Maybe close your eyes as you hear God's prayer for you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, gallery, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together 
with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church gallery and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I have a six-page letter folded up in my nightstand by my bed that my father wrote me a few years before he died. He died very suddenly of a heart attack at 50. And almost like he had an inkling. I mean, he smoked two packs a day and had a stressful job and ate tons of southern food, so maybe he didn't know. But um, I'm not meaning to laugh about it. It was his choice. Um, But he came to this this moment where he had been reading all these historical war books and these letters passed between families. And he said he got inspired to put down as much as he could that he wanted me to know of his heart for me as a a father. So I had this six-page letter. It covers so much. It covers relationships. Yeah, my mom edited it like 12 times. He, he like poured his heart into this, and I have it folded up in my, in my nightstand. It's a record of my father's heart for me on a ton of different subjects. This prayer is a record of your father's heart for you. Do you know that? Do you believe that this morning? What does your father want for you? I want you just to think about this. Strength in your inner being. God, the Heavenly Father, uh, by the accomplishment of Jesus Christ and the ministry of His Holy Spirit, wants you to have strength in your inner being. That's That's a God prayer for your life. That Christ would be at home in you. That He would dwell in your life. That you would dwell in His life. Strengthen your inner being, Christ at home in you. Here's, here's one, that you would know the extravagant dimensions of God's love together. That you would know the extra, how long, high, deep, wide, extravagant dimensions of God's love, but not just you and your journal alone in the park, that you would know that together as a church how extravagant the dimensions of his love are, how you could swim your whole life in them and never come to the end, how we're gonna keep exploring it for eternity. And that's the last one, living beyond imagination and eternal abundance. We don't believe beyond what we would ask or imagine. Like, I have a good imagination, God. You know I can think some stuff up. And he's like, beyond what you would even think to ask, that's what I have in store for you through the church gallery. You are in a special place, deeply connected to God's intent. To press into this vision together is something to give your life for. It is something that sows seed that will last for eternity. It really gets you in touch. Even though it can, I know, I know from experience, it can be deeply disappointing in this gap. But you can begin to participate in closing it by prayer and sacrificial love with one another under the banner of the accomplishment of Jesus. And you can know that you are not working in vain, that you're not loving in vain, that you're not praying in vain, that you're not giving in vain, that it's not, this city will never be really different. That's not what God says. He says it is going to be, and there's going to be a divine conspiracy working through communities just like this to say the kingdom is coming in Baltimore as it is in heaven.
It's hard to even put the, that prayer into summary sentences, but I just want to say it to you one more time because I'm getting out of here. God wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know how much you're loved, even though it's beyond what you can really fathom. That's a big part of that prayer. He wants you to know you're not alone and you're not meant to even comprehend his love alone. He wants you to live out your deep connection to one another. I'm just restating the phrases of his prayer. And he wants you to take actions together in the kingdom of God that's coming now and forever. That's how we close the gap between intent and realization. What Christ has accomplished and by prayer and sacrificial love. So where do we get the strength for that? We just keep coming back to what God is praying for us and believing that it is going to be true. If it's a God prayer, probably going to be answered. And I, I just, I said I was closing. This is such a pastor trick. My really last thing is, why is it so difficult in the first place? Why is this gap even here? Why is it so hard? I mean, we mentioned flesh, world, devil. There is resistance out there. But I want to say, each of these things God is praying for you is because these things can happen to you. He's praying for strength in your inner being because many of us know we can be weak in our inner being. We can be projecting, showing up at work with a smile on our face, and inside we are absolutely falling apart. Some of you know exactly what it is to, to, for God to ask for strength for you because you're exhausted. Some of, you, some of you know what it is to be isolated and not at home at all. You're, you, you know what it is to be lonely. You know what it is to doubt the extravagant love of God. So, so exhaustion and loneliness and doubt is actually what defines our experience. Or, or, or we feel like the church is much less than we expected and we're disappointed. And at each of those very real human places, God's prayer comes along and says, this is not all. This is not everything. Let me, let me tell you the story again. Let me remind you of these points of connection. And so I want to bring you back as we, as we end to that road to Emmaus story. They're leaving dejected, disappointed, done. And Jesus comes and he walks alongside them. And he says, this is what God's been doing here. And God's been doing here. And God's been doing here. And he says he enlightened their hearts of the whole story. He started to stretch that mosaic out in front of them. And it says that their hearts burned. They said, yes, that's what we're for. That's, and, and still, and that by the end of the walk, they're like, oh my gosh, you're leaving. Come have lunch with us. Come hang out. And he's like, I got to go. It's in a place, place, place. And he comes in and it says that they recognized him in the breaking of bread. That his broken body and shed blood is a place the church recognizes him and recovers our hope because it's out of the accomplishment of Jesus that our prayer and sacrificial love flow. They told Jesus what was really up with them. He spoke to their hearts till they burned and helped them see the whole story. And then they recognized him in the breaking of bread. Gallery Church, may you see him that clearly today. And may you join the ministry of Jesus in prayer and sacrificial love to see that gap closed in Baltimore. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, will you come, Holy Spirit? Will you minister to your church? Will you recover hope today? Will you help people remember their true name in Christ today? Would you give strength and inner beings this morning? Would you help us to know together how long and high and deep and wide is your love? May we have uh, a renewed sense of vision and hope. Bless this church. Bless these saints. 
May we recognize you today in the breaking of bread, in the meal. May we pray for one another. May we practice in this safe space who we're meant to be out in the city. Minister to us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I know it I know it sounds self-serving to clap at the end. Like we're not clapping for Caleb, even though he did a phenomenal job. Um, we're really clapping because what he just said to us was true. Um, and if you weren't able to hear me online because I couldn't get the mic stand up, like I do think that celebrating truth is what we should do. So can I remove the um, uh, barrier for true celebration and just say we're not clapping for a human, we're thankful for truth? So can that now be how you feel free to respond after the service? How would we then, then express ourselves? Yeah, right? Like, look, it's like how, like, some of us come from traditions that um, we're not really good at saying our celebration in church. Can I just speak that? Is that honest? Um, There's also this tradition in some of our, what I would say, more traditional denominations where they literally leading up to Easter, what they call bury their hallelujahs. Some denominations have buried hallelujahs, period. <laughs> like, it's just, we just don't know how to say out loud and feel comfortable, wow, God is good. Like, hallelujah. Like, and maybe even say it three times because one time isn't good enough. Like, and so not only do we need to understand what has been simply written on this board, we need to understand that if we tell people we have hope and the reality is that we do have hope, why in the gap do we act like we don't have any hope, right? And so today there was, I'm super excited about the journey that the Lord has us on. Um, And I'm also highly aware of the diverse challenges that we're facing. And right now as Andre is making sure we all have our Lord's Supper stuff to be prepared, Caleb set us up perfectly for this moment of the Lord's table. Um, And I don't want to do anything. I was going to do some announcements while Andre was walking around, but I'm going to wait and do them at the end because I truly believe that some of you in here today absolutely needed this for your faith. Others of you absolutely needed this because you know that you're responsible for closing the gap for others. Do you understand? That's not just the, the staff's job in a church to close the gap. It is the church's job to be authentic. It's the church's job. Now, mind you, we all have challenges. Some of us have a real hard time of grasping reality. There are things that are happening around us, and we can't see it. And there's something broken in our sight or in our processes. But the rest of you, in many regards, um, just feel like there has been a muzzle put on you, and you can't express yourself or talk yourself or engage in a way that says what Jesus says is true and I'm going to live my life on it no matter what the resistance is against me. Um, I believe that when we come to the table, this is our opportunity to have that vanishing moment that these uh, men just had on the Emmaus road. I mean, Caleb left that out, but as soon as he broke the bread and they realized who he was, it was like, poof, he was gone. Um, And I feel like he went to some other brothers and sisters. 
it's not in scripture, but John who wrote his gospel said that if we recorded everything Jesus did, the, the, basically libraries couldn't contain it. So I imagine that Emmaus got put in there, but Jesus had a whole bunch of other roads to go get with a whole bunch of other discouraged people. And I just believe that God has you on that list. Today maybe was the day that he sat down in the chair next to you in here and says, you're not forgotten. Let me clear up some things for you um, because I have purpose for you. Um, and, I, and that purpose isn't just heaven. That purpose is now. So today, if you need prayer, after it's over, you met Lana in the opening introduction or in the um, transition for generosity. Um, she's ready to pray with you. Um, I'm ready to pray for you. Pastor Caleb will be ready to pray for you. Andre would be ready to pray for you. And so if there's something you need to be engaged with in prayer, we are here to help you. But would you stand with me now as we come to the Lord's table? Standing definitely um, takes us in a moment where our posture is matching the honor. And if you're a guest, you're welcome to participate in this. It is a remembrance of Christ. But for those of us that are part of our family, you know we do this every Sunday that we possibly can, especially when I don't forget to order the cups. Um, but I would love for you now to take the bread out from the bottom of your cup. And I would love for this to be a time for us to remember that Christ suffered once a sacrificial love so that there would never have to be that ever again. Um, but in order for people to understand what Christ did once and for all, people need to see it. And so as we take this cracker, and if you're um, able to, to crack it, to break it before you take it, I would encourage you to do so because this is a reminder to us that in order for people to believe the truth of Christ, they need to see it in the church. This is who we are, broken for you. Would you take time now to just say that to one another? This is his body broken for you. And let's do this in remembrance of him. And then as we remove the cup, when Jesus passed this cup around for the first time, I know I've said this before, but I just know that the disciples had no clue really what he was saying the first time it was said. Like, wait a minute, this is my blood's going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Like, wait a minute, because they still thought he was going to be the champion king. And that there wasn't going to be death and sacrifice on Jesus's part. But this is our reminder that our sins are forgiven. Hello. <laughs> our sins are forgiven. Like, this is fantastic news. And this is news that needs to be proclaimed to other people. It is finished, Jesus said. Jesus didn't say to be continued on the cross. He says it is finished. And people need to be told it is finished. So would you remind one of this is his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Yes, and let's do this in remembrance of him. I've come out of a church background where um, we really... In many occasions, like I'm a, I'm a mutt from a church background, um, a lot of different church influences in my life. But one of the things I am grateful for is some of the traditions that other believers in Jesus have been saying for thousands of years. And so we proclaim the mystery of Christ now together, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Would you grab a seat just for a moment before we do our benediction? There's just two announcements that I feel like we really need to make today for your clarity. And I actually just added a third <laughs> in my mind. I'm like, 
Last week we had an issue with the Apple App Store and, um, and some of you were trying to download our app and I was like, you know, go to the App Store, it's in there. And all of our Android people were like, Androids are better because Android has it. But the, yes. And then the iPhone people were like, There's, you, you search gallery, nothing comes up. I believe that has been corrected. And I also want you to know that in the notes section of the app, this is late to the game, but um, Caleb's notes are in there and, and materials for our small group destructions throughout the week are in there. And you can find that and you can communicate with us through the app and we can also communicate with you. We want to make sure everybody that has a smartphone is using our app. It, it helps us. It's a, it's a way to keep everybody in step. The other thing I want to remind you of is we did have to change prayer week because of my illness. And so prayer week is now February 27th through the 26th. We are going to be getting together um, in person and have some online things um, at 7 a.m. noon and 7 p.m. Um, for seven or eight straight. Well, we're ending on Sunday morning, so it's not going to be fully into Sunday evening, but we're, we're going to have an opportunity to be together. And the theme of our prayer week this week is just two words talking back. Um, and, and, I, and I want you to understand that this, the, even the simplistic way of the way Pastor Caleb shared about God's prayer for us, if we can truly step into prayer, I believe we as a church are going to close this gap for ourselves and for other people. But here's the thing. There are voices, spiritual ones, Jesus believed in it, we're going to talk about it, that are telling you not to pray, not to believe, bad behavior. And we have to learn to talk back to that. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on all week, focusing on major areas of ways that we struggle with sin and temptation and discouragement and despair. And I'm looking forward to us. There'll be a teaching every night that week. I'm looking forward to finally getting a chance to speak those sermons that we were preparing around Christmas time for January. 